0: We are going to continue Chapter Six, which we'd uh, got about halfway through at the first meeting th- this morning, the, the Sunday school, and um, hopefully uh, Chapter Six will fit on one CD when we're done. So, uh, in Matthew. If you're, if you're not familiar with the structure of Matthew, Matthew is God's ultimate covenant lawsuit against Israel. Uh, the whole Old Testament, God is called, it wants to have a people for his own possession, a special people who would obey him in every way and do his will and, sh- and show forth his glory to the nations around. And Israel time and time and time and time again refused to do that. Uh, They cut off the kingdom from the the Gentiles and so forth. And Jesus, uh, standing on the prophetic uh, foundation of Moses, Elijah, and all the prophets, makes his case in Matthew against Israel. And he, um, you know, the... When he cleanses the temple, he he, call, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. But then then uh, after he lists the woes to the Pharisees and so forth, he uh, says, your house is left to you desolate. In Matthew 23, after he says, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city who kills the prophets and stones that are sent to her. He disowns the, the temple. He disowns the Israel. And he says, I will take the kingdom away from you, and I will give it to a nation that produces the fruit. God is always doing that. God is always taking the kingdom away from those uh, of his people who are not willing to be his people. And he is always looking to build a people. Uh, That's why uh, he says, upon the revelation, he says, upon this rock that is the rock of the revelation of, of Christ, I will build my church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One of the many barometers Christ gives us in in the Gospel of Matthew for whether the people of God are truly the people of God is if you're living in a culture where the gates of hell are prevailing, then there's something wrong with, with the Christianity that we have. The church, he says in the Sermon on the Mount to the, his corporate people, to, to those who are his disciples, he says, you're the salt of the earth. Salt stops corruption. If a society is morally corrupting, then the the essence of the salt has lost its savor. And what we've done consistently over the last 150 years is, is export uh, the gospel in the worldwide missions movement, without taking the time to make sure we've recovered the fullness of it and so we've had less and less of the message not only verbally and intellectually understood but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so uh for instance and, and we've really kind of got things out of god's order we uh, you know i'm always uh cooling off the jets of young christians and saying study go deeper build character uh, get the bigger picture. God has a great calling on your life. Charles Spurgeon said, if I had known that God was going to give me 25 more years, I would have spent the first 20 in preparation. And uh what what we have today, Jesus, you know, Jesus tells the, the disciples, don't leave Jerusalem till you've received power from on high. We have all kinds of people going off to minister, all kinds of things that have never encountered power from on high. And so we have all four kinds of forms of Christianity where we don't do the things Jesus did. You know, there's a famous story about John Wimber when he was a young Christian and didn't know any better, uh, where he would go up to the pastor and say, "This your sermon from the Gospels was so good this week. Uh, and then he said the same thing the next week. and the next, And then finally he said, you know, these sermons are so good, but when are we going to do this? And he said, do what? He goes, you know, Proclaim the kingdom to the poor, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers, heal the sick, raise the dead. Well, the things that Jesus told us to do. What are we going to do it? And the pastor said, "Well, we don't do that here. We just talk about that." <laughs> so, what we what we have to recover is uh, if you really if you read 1 Corinthians 11:18, uh 1 Corinthians 2:4, 1 Corinthians 4:20, a, a gospel that doesn't have demonstrations of the spirit and of power is actually not the gospel. It's just theoretical. Jesus said, "I will build my church." That that's one of the that's if if you want to have like 10 or 12 of the most uh, focal, focal points of Matthew, he's saying, I'm going to build my called-out assembly. In contradistinction to Mo- Moses' called-out assembly, the word there for ecclesia is the word the Septuagint uses for Moses' congregation. And he's saying, I've always wanted a people, and Moses said that God will raise up a prophet just like me, who is Christ. And one of the ways we'll know that prophet that prophet is Mo when they were jealous, when Miriam and Aaron were jealous about the Spirit of God uh, disseminating from Moses to 70 other elders, and they said, hey, Moses, are they, these other elders are prophesying. He said, I would that all God's people were prophets. Now, he was prophesying himself when he said that. Because in the New Testament, as we talked about in the first message, all priests are prophets, all priests speak forth the word of God under, with power, a power that's of the full conviction. A pastor friend of mine who I'm still very close with was, is a kind of a big figure in, a, in a, the, the world's largest Protestant denomination. And uh, he was asked to speak at their uh, annual conferences about what is wrong with our evangelism today. And he asked me my opinion, and I said, we don't have any, there's no conviction. There's no conviction that comes out of our corporate, the depth of our community, the depth of our corporate lifestyle, and the power of, of the Holy Spirit. We have a partial gospel, and that's why we get partial results. So this all that fits into what we're talking about here we, th- these matters of restore, restoring an understanding of gifts and, and functions and, and learning to employ them and serving one another are not mere academic exercises. I hope you don't go away and say, oh, good, uh, Pastor Greg shared something I hadn't thought about. 90% of what he said I already knew, but maybe the 10% was something that made me think. If it doesn't make you think to the fact that it changes what you're doing, then I've missed my point. So, hopefully uh, you enjoyed what we, uh, and were challenged by what we talked about in the first service about being priest. Uh, Study the priesthood all through the Bible. Study the Melchizedek model of priesthood. Study the Levitical model of priesthood. But all of those are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and you are a priest of the Most High God. uh frankly if we could get i that that one truth alone would change grace christian fellowship if there's anything that we've lacked we've we've lacked the prayer support the intercession the spiritual warfare we've lacked air cover we've lacked people who really fast one day a week and cry out to god for our ministries i've been trying to challenge you you know a couple friday nights ago um i had shared some stuff like this and uh I forget who, there were five, six, seven different single brothers who fasted for that Friday night, and we had a much better power of God, God's manifest presence in the worship that Friday night. Believe me, that's just, touching God's manifest power in worship is only a stepping stone to, get to beginning to understand that you're supposed to walk in that power. You should be able, when you, Jesus knew the Pharisees were thinking this or that. That's not unreality. That's got to become normal, everyday Christianity. God can give you gifts like discernment of spirits, where when you meet some person, you can discern by the spirit about them. Are they born again or not? Are they baptized in the spirit or not? Do they have demonic influences in their life? that is not unreality. That is, that is biblical normalcy. And apart from that, I don't want to go do anything till we're go do that. People encounter Jesus and their whole life changed in one encounter. These things are reality. Uh I, I wish I could just give a testimony of of different things that have happened in in times where we really gave ourselves to prayer and fasting and cr- calling out the manifest presence of God, and a whole group of people began to walk that way. I'll share one of them that that still to this day cracks me up, but we had just had this really powerful prayer meeting, which we always did before we'd go send teams of two to go share the gospel. And I was taking a young guy who I was supposed to help him learn how to share the gospel. And as we were walking on the campus, I saw a guy with his back to me about twice as far as from here to those doors that Larry's coming through. Um, And then uh, I said to the guy, I think God wants us to share with that guy. So let's go. So as we walked, I got about, oh, 30 feet from the guy, and he suddenly spun around he got very bug-eyed, and he went, no! And he actually ran at full speed the opposite way. Now, I never saw him before in my life. He never saw us, I'm, I'm pretty sure, before. He was a guy highly influenced by demonic spirits whose spirits sensed the Spirit of God coming toward us. Now, if you think that's weird or that's abnormal, read your Gospels in the book of Acts again. Think about just, what, what, what is Gadar? You know what gaydar is? Is their spirits can actually read each other from 100 feet away. If you read any books about counseling and codependency, the, the, the ones that don't have, bring in the dimension of the Holy Spirit or demons or any of that, they'll always say, we don't know why, but two you get any group of people together at a party, and the, the guy and the girl that are both codependent will go home with each other because their spirits know each other. Now, this is, this is just what the Gospels say. I know we don't talk about that in natural-minded American Christianity, but we have nothing if we don't begin. You know, Paul said, My preaching was not in persuasive words of wisdom. I'm all for, you know, I study apologetics and presuppositional apologetics and, and I study Greek and I, uh, all these kind of things. But he said, my message was not in the persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men. We got to get out there and, and do these things. So, how did I get in all that? Uh, these things are important. To, we've got to recover every aspect of the biblical. You know, like how we do church government, how we do it. You know, we have so many traditions that are not based on on how the scriptures do it. So, with that, turn over to the second page, and we're going to talk about overseers, elders, bishop, and presbyters. Now. In today's churches, for the most part in Protestant Christianity, a church has a board of elders. And that board of elders are primary, is really a business council. And that business council hires a person who's been to a cemetery. A seminary. And uh and uh old joke, of course. Uh but unfortunately too true true to the even and uh so uh you know who uh it's been taught to do things the same old way Einstein you know keep doing things the same old way and expect different results and uh and he's a hireling he takes the job for the paycheck I don't know how many young Christians that want to do urban ministry and this kind of ministry and this kind of have told me well you know i am gonna go where the job is because i I got all these student loans going to to cemetery and i need uh i in it's you know really that's that makes me so sad in the new testament pete people were raised up within you know Timothy. It says in Acts 16 that he had a good reputation among the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. You want, want to know something? If you get in more than a CEO on Sunday, community-style church, your reputation won't lie. And Paul took Timothy under his wing, and he calls him my true son. What int- I love about that is that it's very clear that Paul didn't lead him to Christ. He adopted him, so to speak and trained him to be an apostolic team member. And we're going to look next week at what apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, but if we keep doing the traditional pastor model, we will never accomplish the purposes of God in the earth. We have to restore the biblical models of leadership in all the biblical terms. So that first, the first sermon about priesthood, we have to we have to lead people to Christ in such a way that they understand that there's no christianity that's not discipleship and that every disciple is a priest and you need to exercise your priesthood all right let's see if i can get through overseers i probably should have uh, challenged the prayer people to all of us pray a little shorter we all have the uh spirit of greg Wise for some uh yeah, that's right we can we can if something could be prayed in 25 words we know how to pray it in 250 words but uh well <laughs> uh i'll take the credit for that or the blame all right so The words overseer, elder, bishop, and presbyters are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament, and they're always used plural. That's the first point we've got to make. 1 Timothy 5.17 says the elders, which in that case is presbyteros, who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Uh, the reason I challenge the young guys who have a call to leadership to study, 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 is you might as well get used to it because you're never going to accomplish anything with for God if you don't become a studier. If you let studying get crowded out of your life day after day after day, you're going nowhere in the call of God on your life. Titus 1, 5 through 7 says, For this reason I left you in Crete. Now, the context is that Paul and his team had gone through this whole island of crete and they'd gone to every city and and raised up a body of believers that some of them were very small bodies of believers but he said for this reason i left you in crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders presbyteros again in every city there was no national hierarchy the whole concept of a denomination with national hierarchy is not very biblical at all Appoint uh, presbyters in every city, as I directed you. (laughs) Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer. It's used. Thank you, said. He's using the word interchangeably. You see, the overseer—that is the episcopos. Now we get Presbyterian from presbyteros, and we get bishop or episcopalian from episcopos. But the overseer must be. Now, um, Acts 20, by the, by the way, the uh, neither the Presbyterians nor the, the Episcopalians use those terms in, a, in an exactly biblical way as we'll look at. Um, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders, Presbyterians of the church, and when they had come to him, he, he said to them, Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you Episcopas. So the elders the presbyteros got Paul saying you presbyteros guys the holy spirit has made you episcopos guys so that you can shepherd poimainel the church of god which he purchased with his own blood i i love that that which he purchased with his own blood and, and any person who serves in any way in the church would do well to constantly cultivate the fear of god and remember these, the, the Lord purchased us with his blood. And you and we had better be careful how we touch his people and his anointed and so forth. The Lord owns them. For, you know, those of you who minister at Wright State or at Wright Brothers, those, those God has an elect at Wright Brothers School that we're, Gradually, going to get the privilege of, of being involved in finding out that in some many cases, other cases it'll be down the road and won't necessarily be through us or whatever. But that elect he purchased with his blood, all even the kids who don't know that yet. The kindergartners you're reading to he purchased some of them with his blood. The kids you're telling about Abraham and so forth, he purchased many of them with his blood. They're his, even if they don't know it yet. A couple of the more handsome single brothers have told me that all the girls on campus are in love with them, they just don't know it yet. But <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> they do you know what? God has people who don't even know they're God's people yet. But they were it was eternally decided before the foundations of the earth. You didn't choose me. He chose you, et cetera. Therefore, I exhort the elders, perhaps among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker of the glories that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock, in other words, elders, they, what do they do? They shepherd the flock of God who exercising oversight, episcopas, not under compulsion, but voluntarily and so forth. All right, so these words, presbyteros means those were those who presided over the assemblies. Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia," which means my called out assembly. It's a Greek word that in the Greek city states, it's a city word in both the Old Testament and the New. In the Old Testament, there were elders. And guess where they, the elders were? They were of the city. God did not want the national hierarchy that eventually developed through Saul in, in, De, in David's time. He made that clear through Samuel and all the way back to Moses and Joshua and so forth. The truth of the matter is God always, even in the period of Judges, God raised up leadership not through what... Uh, what many denominations call, call the uh, apostolic succession, was not through offices, through the laying out of hands, but it was charismatically by the Holy Spirit in every locality. And it was up to the that city to recognize the eldership. Um, and the elders sat in the city gates, which is a symbol of of warfare and it's a symbol of protection and the purpose of eldership was uh, was um, to protect the city both from enemies without and that's if you remember like with Naomi and and Boaz and so forth and the whole deal with the sandal and everything like that that's how they did business that's who was adjudicated disputes uh, that's what Paul's talking about to the Corinthians. He said, don't you even have any godly men among you? The Corinthian church didn't have elders yet. It was the most immature church of the New Testament, and they hadn't appointed elders yet because of the tremendous character problems. It took us, frankly, just in our own little grace Christian fellowship, it took us quite a few years to raise up elders. And we worked very hard at that at first before we even started to grow, on, and, and we did that on purpose with very strict qualifications because the elders guard the city. They, they look eternally, they're overseers, they look at eternal perspectives on things. So Jesus has his called out assembly, and it's supposed to be cities. The New Testament model for the church is local. Local. Now, there's translocal authority apostolically and so forth. That's what Paul's telling Titus to do, but he's telling Titus to raise up elders within that church, within each of the churches that they had planted. Uh, that it developed from the Jewish scriptural model, the New Testament model of elders is taken is is taken from Jesus said that uh, you know I will build my church, but he also said you're a city set on a hill, right? And so the church is a city within the city, and that and the the church is a city within the city, and so in each city is to have elders in that city who guard the city. That was the that was the whole. Uh, way that elders were raised up. And the, the Greek assemblies were, were also city-states. They were cities. And they managed public affairs and administered justice. The word episkopos means to look upon, inspect, oversee, look after, care for, of the care of the church which rested upon the elders, to look carefully, to beware. It has to do with being circumspective, being prudent. Having a fullness of knowledge, experience, wisdom, character, and so forth. Wisdom is different than knowledge. As uh, Bob Timer pointed out at my Thursday Bible study this week, he sa- he's, I said, what is wisdom? He said, well, it's, it's how to apply knowledge in the right situations and circumstances. Poimeno is, uh, of course, uh, the Greek, that's the verb form, the, the, uh, the um, noun form is poimen, means a shepherd. The, the, the verb form means to feed, to tend a flock, keep sheep, to rule, govern of rulers, to furnish, past, pasture for food, etc. So when we get into it next week, we'll see that apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds is a whole different thing than what pastors are today in our, in our present models. Do you know that in a church of 100 people, there ought to be at least 15 or so shepherds with 15 or 20 more shepherds in training? Because a shepherd, Jesus said, the sheep know my voice. Every Christian is to know the voice of Jesus, but you're also to know the voice of local guys that you can hear. One of the things I look for is, I, as I begin to see people maturing, can they hear, can they receive a, a direction that changes their course, and can they hear it deeply and correctly and so forth? Or do they always have a yeah, but? The goats always have a, a but, 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 and the sheep just have a yeah, but, uh, so, et cetera. Um, I don't want to get into the qualifications for shepherds. We'll get into that next week when we look at apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. But I do want you to understand that in, in um, when, they, when the Israelites entered the promised land, Josh, the book of Joshua divides up the land by the tribes. And the, they lived in what was called a theocracy, but they did not live in an ecclesiocracy. Now, let me... Everyone gets mad at me about big words, but you, you have to. You, you, words are part of, you don't know, Jesus is the word. Words are important. A theocracy is the rule of God. Democracy is the rule of the people. We have way too much democracy and not enough theocracy in our country right now. Theocracy is not necessarily an ecclesiocracy, which is the rule of the church. That can't be. Up until Constantine's conversion, there was a big separation, which happened to be quite hostile, between the church and the state. And they both had separate government, and even in the midst of when they were killing the Christians, Paul tells them in Romans 13 that the governors and authorities are from God and that they're ministers of God whether they know it or not. Now, but they weren't they were to obey those ministers up to a certain point, but just like in acts forty they didn't acts four twenty they didn't obey the sanhedrin when the sanhedrin told them to quit proclaiming the name of Jesus in the streets, nor did the Christians obey uh the government when they told them uh to sacrifice to Caesar and to say Caesar is lord because the romans allowed any religion as long as you accepted the the priority that caesar is the ultimate lord and whatever religion you have can be second that's very similar to our the state today that's the idea called statism that the state will save us government programs will save us and whoever becomes your savior will become your master it's inevitable so uh, it's important to see that that just from ancient Israel times, uh, the government was local. It was not some denomination or hierarchy thing. Even though there were translocal people called judges that God's raised up for specific times and purposes. Okay. Lastly, let's just cover deacons real quick. Deacons... Uh, Likewise must be men of dignity and so forth. Uh, If you notice the qualifications for deacons, which again we'll get into later, they're almost the same as elders. And in fact, one of the purposes of being a deacon is to serve in administrative ways uh, because the greatest is a servant, and if you don't learn first the natural, then the spiritual, you'll never be qualified to serve in spiritual ways. So, one of the purposes of the deacon ministry is to serve in natural ways as a preparation to learn to serve in spiritual ways. Deacon is one who executes the commands of a master, a servant, attendant, minister, the servant of a king, a deacon, or who, by virtue of the office assigned him by the church, cares for the poor and is charged and distributes the money collected for the use, a waiter, one who serves. A deacon serves both the King Jesus and the eldership team as representatives of King Jesus. And those who serve as deacons attain a great standing in the faith. If you notice, um, Acts 6 doesn't use the word deacons, but most, most people believe that Acts 6 was the beginning of the deacon ministry in the early church, and several of those seven anointed men that they chose went on to do great exploits for the Lord, of course, most notably Stephen and Philip. Right? So, uh, I did want to point out the word gune or gune, um, uh, because it says that w- women uh, must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips. And there has been a lot of debate over the centuries what that means. We get the word gynecologist from gune. A gynecologist is a doctor that specializes on specific woman things. Uh, a woman of any age, whether a virgin or married, or widow, or wife, or betrothed woman, it is unclear whether this reference is to deacons' wives, as is translated in the King James Version and the English Standard Version, or to deaconesses. Um, one of the things I would encourage us to uh, is don't reject other churches and traditions. Who you know, uh, on the one hand, these verses do apply to the k- godly character that a deacon's wife must have. Just like an elder's wife must have godly character, but on the other hand, many traditions have believed that there are that are there are women called to be deaconesses uh, because it's not a governmental function, only men can be elders in the scriptures, uh, but I believe women can be deaconesses and many traditions uh, the, the Anglican tradition and so forth, because Paul talks about uh, in 1 Corinthians seven virgins who are devoted to the Lord. There there are just there are some people both among men and among women who are called to be single for Christ because there are just certain things you can do for the kingdom when you're single that you just can't do when you're married. And that was really how the East tradition uh, of married clergy began to develop separately from the West tradition because uh, in the 4th and 5th century, the Western tradition uh, Half of of what was the Roman Empire was being invaded by Visigoths and Goths, and Rome was sacked in 409 AD, and the church was moving up to to conquer in the name of Christ from the inside out by the power of the kingdom and the gospel and to bring civilization and education and, and established monasteries and so forth, and it was just much more expedient for single people to do that. I often tell people you need to consider, if you're going to get married, uh, that I I would not, as your pastor, endorse you, say, going to Saudi Arabia as a missionary when you have kids. I would say, wait till the kids are grown up and then go to Saudi Arabia so that the kids aren't, aren't necessarily making that choice. So uh, there, there are many deaconesses that serve the Lord in many great ways, and, and uh, if you Some people have problems with that, but I I really don't see how scripturally you can. So we'll end on that note.